Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting The Motley Fool. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to industry-focused listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com fool and enter Motley Fool in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, October 24th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. We're getting back into the usual swing of things after last week's pitch a stock theme. And if you missed any of the episodes or want a consolidated list of the 15 stocks that were pitched by our Fool.com contributors, shoot an email to industryfocus at Fool.com and we'll get that list over to you straight away. And one more plug, we're always happy to field questions and take show ideas from Fools. So you can also use that email, industryfocus at Fool.com, to pitch us your ideas, ask us questions. We're always happy to hear from listeners. And today we'll be talking about old media and turning our attention to one of the most famous names out there in the news, the New York Times. But before we dive in, though, we'll also talk about some of the latest developments at Blue Apron, and the and we'll also preview the upcoming IPO for one of its meal kit rivals, HelloFresh. And joining me for this discussion via Skype is SeniorFool.com contributor Asit Sharma. Welcome, Asit. Great to have you with us as always. Vince, hola, and listeners, what up, fools? <laughs> so I mentioned this to you before the show, but I wanted to quickly get your thoughts. Um, maybe uh, just spend a couple minutes talking about the latest news with Amazon's HQ2. Um, the application process is finally over. So this is for the company's second headquarters. Um, they said that they received uh, applications from 238 cities and regions. Um, applying to be the home of Amazon's second headquarters, and that represents a total of 54 states, provinces, districts, and territories in North America. The big draw, of course, being the more than $5 billion the company will invest in the development of its second headquarters and the 50,000 high-paying jobs that will go along with it. Um, do you know? happen to know us if uh, your region uh, near the Research Triangle uh, submitted a bid and, and, and if they put out any social media stuff around that? I'm pretty sure they did, Vince, uh, was following it on Twitter, and uh, the Raleigh area certainly put in a bit. I think Charlotte did as well. Uh, some of our listeners may have seen on uh, TechCrunch or a couple of other sites, there are some nice videos that prominent cities have posted uh, from Philadelphia to Atlanta um, so that you can watch their presentations. Boston, in particular, uh, I thought had a great presentation. But yeah, I think we went in. How about over there, um, up in the northern Virginia area? Yeah, absolutely. So I was at a wedding this past weekend, and uh, you know, Amazon's HQ2 came up a few times in conversation. So a lot of us obviously live in the DC metro region, um, and DC Mayor Muriel Bowser named specific neighborhoods in her proposal for the city. But we're ultimately a little bit. I'd say skeptical about such a big development in the district itself, at least. Um, but between uh, D.C., Northern Virginia, like you mentioned, in Maryland, there are definitely a lot of options. I think that meet the criteria that Amazon set. So that uh, if you're not as familiar with uh, with the process and the requirements that Amazon laid out, they mentioned things like proximity to an international airport and universities, public transportation, space for several several million square feet of development. Um, but at this point, uh, you know, with over I think 200 locations, right, throwing their hat in the ring, um, it's going to be tough for us to narrow down the list. Though plenty of places have kind of named their top 10 or top 20 uh, most likely notable candidates. Um, I'd also like to point out um, 
and I think I saw this in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, uh, they pointed out a map that's color-coded on Amazon's website uh, regarding uh, the second headquarters. And it seems to indicate at least what states did not submit a bid, which I thought would be uh, interesting to point out. So, they included Vermont, Arkansas, North and South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Hawaii uh, as as uh, regions that did not submit a bid for this. And I, I can't say I'm too surprised. There's also been some controversy around this entire project since some cities are offering pretty generous incentives to the company to sweeten their proposals, essentially. And uh, though the company will not announce its decision until sometime next year, even that is, uh, there isn't too much detail in terms of the announcement timeline. Uh, New Jersey, for example, uh, could offer up to $7 billion in tax breaks to the company if they choose Newark, and that would put the headquarters right outside New York City. Um, so it'll be that will definitely be something uh, we'll follow an update on uh, once they've made a decision. But let's get to our main uh, first topic for today, and that has to do with Blue, uh, Blue Apron. So uh, this is our first update on the company since we talked about them over the summer uh, when they. Uh, had yet to actually price their IPO, so we're getting geared up for the IPO process. And at the time, Austin, you and I were actually pretty bearish on the company uh, when we discussed it then. And its IPO ended up starting with a price range of about fifteen to seventeen dollars per share. So that gave the company a valuation of about three billion dollars. But they had insufficient demand during that whole roadshow process uh, for the IPO. They had to lower their range to. Uh, between ten and eleven dollars, they priced at the bottom of that. So at ten dollars per share, they had a one point nine billion dollar dollar valuation. That's what they started with, but they've been on a pretty consistent downward slide. Their shares are now at five bucks, and the latest development for the company was the announcement of layoffs. Six percent of its workforce actually are about three hundred people, and and back in July there was an internal management reorganization as well with the co-founder COO COO stepping down, uh, new positions being established. Um, are you any more or less bearish since the we, the last time we talked about this company? Well, first I want to say that I went back and looked at the transcript of our conversation. We were careful to put in positives. And what we call red flags. So yes. If Blue, Apron, if Blue Apron had done really well, we would, today we'd be saying, "Yeah, we knew it was going to do well, but we did put in these <laughs> caution notes for investors." Um, that actually we were sort of negative on the company. Uh, I think what really leaps out at me is that the problems we identified before the company went public. One of those was negative working capital. That means a deficiency of assets on hand to pay current obligations. And that sort of followed Blue Apron through this IPO process. They went public on the 5th of July and received a cash infusion, but it was only $278 million was the entire IPO raise. So as you point out, Vince, much smaller than their initial ambitions. And I wanted to read a couple of figures from the reporting they've done since then. They have issued a quarterly report. Again, this is before the IPO, but in the first six months of this year, uh, the company has generated $483 million in revenue, it's had an $84 million loss, and it's had a cash burn of $71 million. Last quarter, second quarter of this year, revenue rose 18%, but that's a slower pace than even the quarter before that, which showed 42% year-over-year growth. So one of the things that we talked about, and Vince, you really uh, d- dived into, was the problem that Blueprint has with its customers, that it spends a lot uh, to try to keep its customers, uh, a lot of marketing, 
on that, and it seems to churn through its uh, customer um, base very quickly. So I was curious after that conversation, what are your thoughts on uh, Blue Apron vis-a-vis how it has to spend all this money for customers, and it always seems to be treading water just just to keep an active customer subscribe subscription base. Yeah, but my concern, um, and I, you know, I went through their second quarter earnings call, and you could tell that management was under a lot of pressure. Um, they ran into operational issues. Um, they were very cagey about certain key metrics and numbers that they've alluded to are important, but didn't really want to share the actual numbers themselves. And uh, there was certainly a case of bad timing as well in terms of the Amazon Whole Foods deal being announced uh, right around the timing of their IPO, which I think may made a lot of investors jittery about uh, how they would compete against such a bigger player and somebody who's so good at disrupting various industries. Um, but one issue that they mention over and over and over again during that earnings call as having been a headwind for them, something that is going to uh, that really hurt their momentum and it's kind of ho- kind of hobbled them in the back half of the year was this new uh, Linden facility um, that they've uh, spent millions of dollars developing. Um, it at the time uh, for the second quarter made up just a small single digit percentage of their national meal kit volume, um, and that's after. Some delays after some cost increases. So eventually, I think there's a point uh, during the conference call. Uh, at that time, it was in early August. They were hitting about 20 to 25 percent volume at that facility, and management uh, was very hopeful about uh, reaching scale at Linden and uh, re- uh, increasing that utilization for that investment. And ultimately, with a long-term goal uh, for Linden to make about make up over 50 percent of their volume. Um, but the thing is, though, uh, in that time, with the challenges that they've encountered at the facility, uh, they're talking about how it's going to hurt their margins going forward, um, at least temporarily. Uh, and that is on the path, of course, long term to Linden uh, having tons of automation and ultimately being their most efficient uh, facility. But when it comes down to it, uh, they mentioned how uh, those challenges there tied into challenges in terms of their fulfillment process uh, with this metric that they called uh, OTIF, on time, in full. So basically a measure of customers getting their complete correct orders on time and how a worsening OTIF also impacts their customer retention. For new customers, You know, not a pleasant uh, experience in terms of their first meal kit deliveries, uh, maybe not as loyal, decreasing that lifetime customer value or that average revenue per customer. And, and then that gets a double whammy because they're also uh, management also spoke significantly to how they're trying to decrease their marketing spend. Uh, you know, we in that prior episode when we we're in that primer in terms of, uh, you know, it's this blue apron business. The big one of the things that we talked about, uh, and I think you mentioned this, uh, not long ago, was the amount of money they have to spend to acquire customers and how whether or not uh, that kind of investment in each new account essentially is really sustainable. Um, but the company is trying to. Address these challenges and 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 make its service more sticky and attractive by expanding some some of its offering lineup with fast uh, fast prep meals. Um, trying to offer more dietary options, more day part specific menu items, um, and these are all things that they're considering. Um, but I'd say to, taken together, it was just a very rough launch out of the gate for them, uh, considering the challenges they saw during the IPO process itself, and it didn't. Inspire, I think, a lot of confidence in investors, and it certainly explains the negative trading that they've seen so far. 
Yeah, I, you know, I go back to this idea of attracting customers. If you look at the facility in Linden, it's supposed to be a fully automated uh, facility at some point in time and really safe on margin uh, for Blue Apron. But this is a classic top-line, bottom-line squeeze. Right now, the company doesn't have cash to both invest in this facility and increase marketing, which it desperately needs to gain that market share and fend off competition. In the last quarter, um, the company reduced its marketing by $26 million. And as a result of that, its customer base declined 9% to 943,000 uh, customers. So it, the, the customer base went under a million because it had to pull back on marketing. But at the same time, without this automation fully in place, it won't achieve the margins that that's supposed to bring to generate more cash to then go out and get more customers. So the, the company is going to have to, at some point, either do an, a follow-up offering and try to go to the market again, which there's no appetite for the, the, those types of shares yet for a secondary offering, um, or increase its debt load to uh, pump money into marketing, finish its uh, fulfillment center, and try to compete with the likes of Plated, which um, was a competitor that was independent also, but was recently acquired by Albertsons for about two hundred million dollars. Yeah, what it comes down to is, you know, you can see management's trying to juggle all these different pieces here. They have this uh, this Linden rollout and trying to make sure that that is uh, they avoid any more hiccups there. Then they have to balance their marketing spend, uh, what you mentioned in terms of uh, the, their cash flow, kind of the squeeze in the top and bottom lines. Uh, they have new competition coming in uh, in terms of and how that what that might look like with a plated acquisition, for example. But then, you know, make matters even more interesting. You have HelloFresh, uh, one of their biggest rivals, gearing up for its own IPO in Germany. Um, that's a if they uh, price where they want to, they'll ultimately be a bigger deal than Blue Apron had, and the they'll come out of the gates. Potentially with a stronger valuation than Blue Apron as well. Uh, currently, Blue Apron has a market cap about one uh, about one billion dollars, whereas HelloFresh would like to come out with a valuation. Uh, I think it was one point eight billion euros. Was it, uh, did I get that right, Asset? About um, one point five billion euros or one point eight million bucks. All right, thank you. So, yep. um, you know, higher valuation and. You know the CEO uh, of HelloFresh, Dominic Richter. He said that uh, his company is poised to surpass Blue Apron by revenue in the coming months, and you know management has established a very clear goal of becoming the number one meal meal kit player in the United States uh, by next year. Um, what other details have you seen around that, and, and what kind of impact do you think that this is going to have for Blue Apron? The detail that really stuck out to me, Vince, was if you line up the second quarters between these two companies, um, HelloFresh had sales of, and I'll convert this to dollars, of $169 million versus $238 million for Blue Apron, which is why HelloFresh says it can overtake Blue Apron this year. Now, let's do some math. Blue Apron, as I mentioned earlier, did a little less than $500 million of revenue in the first six months of this year. So, if both companies are at a run rate of about $500 million in half a year's time. That's a billion dollars of revenue, roughly. Let's fast forward to next year. That's $2 billion of revenue in a year. Now, most of the estimates that I have seen for the meal kit delivery market in North America in total are about $2 billion. These are two companies, small, fledgling, 
raising money in the public markets to go against the likes of Amazon slash Whole Foods with Amazon Fresh. Uh, and we know Amazon has taken out some trademarks and patents for its own delivery service. We mentioned Plated, which is now owned by the deep-pocketed grocery chain Albertsons, and not to mention Kroger, which also has its own uh, small meal kit delivery service that it's working on. If the market total market for meal kit delivery is $2 billion, and these two companies will have most of that market uh, by some point next year, guess what? They're extremely vulnerable to me. Yeah, uh, they might be the biggest players right now, um, but uh, I think you have to look a little bit at the growth overall for this industry. Um, I, overall, I'm not uh, all that bullish on the meal kit space in general. Um, I think competition ultimately is going to drive prices down, shake out some of the weaker players, but it is a growing industry. Um, Blue Apron, uh, despite the challenges that it's seeing, um, you know, the, some of the analyst expectations for the company's revenue, they expect it to grow double digits in the next several years, um, hitting, I think, close to $1.2 billion by 2019. Um, but on the HelloFresh side, you know, I think they have more active customers than Blue Apron, and uh, management's also indicated they hope to break even in the next 15 months. So neither company right now is operating profitably, prof, uh, profitably but if they can do that, um, it definitely uh, helps to, I think, legitimize and add some uh, some weight to the idea of these being more sustainable businesses. But then you have the issue in terms of you know who owns Whole Foods, and if Am- uh, with Amazon potentially uh, you know having taken over that business and deciding to throw its hat into the ring here uh, with the help of the brick and mortar infrastructure that Whole Foods includes, uh, the scale and size advantage that they have, and Amazon's logistical prowess. I feel like every single time uh, we, we talk about some industry on the verge of disruption, Amazon has something to do with it uh, and how they can hurt the established players. And this is also a case where that's definitely, definitely a potential thing. But is there anything else that you think investors need to be following uh, for Blue Apron in the coming months? Uh, you know the key objective from management that I've seen. They've laid it out. They say they want to increase lifetime values uh, of their customers and the revenue for customer. Um, but we haven't gotten much detail uh, on the uh, as much detail on those lifetime values, revenue, revenue per customer, and orders per customer. Um, those metrics, if you look at the latest release, are moving in the wrong direction. So I'll definitely be watching for that uh, when they report. Uh, in early November, so just a little over a week from now. Um, what else are you watching, Asit? Yeah, just really quick, uh, investors, we'll see this uh, Q3 report that Vince mentioned, and take a look at the balance sheet, because that will have the proceeds of the IPO and how the company's used that part of cash already. And take a look at the uh, operating statement, the, I'm sorry, um, the cash flow statement of the operating cash flows, and take a look at what that cash burn looks like. Very important because, as we said before, uh, the company needs to both invest in its facilities and invest in marketing. Uh, so we'd like to see the customer numbers improve, as Vince mentioned, but also how, how bad does that balance sheet look? And we'll get a really good chance to see that next week, and we'll have some coverage on full.com, I'm sure, so you can read one of our articles and get the lowdown. Thanks again to FreshBooks for supporting this podcast. The nature of work is changing in the internet has enabled more people to become self-employed professionals and small business owners, independent, connected, and working in new jobs that couldn't have been imagined just a few years ago. It wasn't even that long ago that working for yourself was still considered taboo, 
and often looked down upon compared to, quote, real jobs. But that's thankfully no longer the case. Today, one in three Americans is self-employed and the trend is growing. By 2020, this group could grow to be over 40% of the U.S. workforce. It certainly helps when there are over 50 million millennials in this country, the largest generational slice of the workforce, and a group that will change employers every two and a half years while being much more comfortable with self-employment. But the world is not built for the self-employed, and many institutions that support the workforce, think banks, retirement savings, insurance, and accounting, they're not keeping up with the changes needed to support self-employed individuals and small businesses. My family had a small business when I was growing up, a restaurant that I spent countless hours roaming around, helping to clean up, working the kitchen, and I can't help but wonder what it would have been like if we had access to something like FreshBooks. After closing the restaurant at 10 p.m., customers out the door, we still have at least a few hours of work to do each night, gathering receipts, recording expenses, filling out catering invoices. So long hours are common enough in that industry, but those administrative bookkeeping tasks can really take their toll. Being able to do all those things automatically and having the power to manage them on the go from our smartphones, the idea would have sounded absurd to us at the time. But FreshBooks is among the innovators who have stepped up to provide a new solution for small business owners in this rapidly changing market. And FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash fool and enter Motley Fool in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash fool. Make sure you enter Motley Fool in the how did you hear about us section for a 30-day unrestricted free trial. All right, Asset, our last topic here, uh, we're running a little short on time, so we'll keep it, uh, we'll try to keep this part of the discussion quick, but I wanted to focus a little bit on New York Times. We don't talk about them uh, enough on the show here. And it's an interesting company that has put up really, really strong results in the past few quarters. Coincidentally enough, benefited a lot from its somewhat antagonistic relationship with President Trump. Um, exactly how well has this company been doing uh, under this administration? In the last quarter, digital-only subscription additions for the New York Times jumped 69% year over year. The Times now has over... 2 million digital subscribers, and that's doubled in a short two-year period. So the answer has been they're doing extremely well under the Trump administration. And investors, let's go back to high school. This term symbiosis, do you remember this? It's when uh, two organisms have a mutually beneficial relationship. And uh, it's exactly what we see here. I like to think of this uh, as a frenemy relationship. Uh, (laughs) It's not a coincidence. New York Times will report... Uh, earnings next week on November 1st, and that's just a few days shy of the one-year anniversary of uh, President Trump's election. The stock is up almost 77% from the date of the election to today. Uh, President Trump likes to bash the failing New York Times, but under him, they've been more sailing than failing. Uh, President Trump is a native New Yorker. He reads the Times, and he grants exclusive interviews to the Times. There was one in July with New York Times reporters uh, Peter Barker, Michael Schmidt, and of course Maggie Haberman. Uh, the president sees the value of keeping uh, the New York Times as a mouthpiece as much as he loves to bash them. And you won't hear the editors or business managers of the time complaining about the revenue that the company is getting from this relationship. Yeah, I think for if you look at this business and how they've had to adjust, obviously. Um, the print side of their business has uh, definitely shrunk, and they're losing both the subscribers there, advertising money's flowing out of the print side, uh, and as a, and it, it makes sense that they've 
not only invested significantly in their digital platform, um, but seen quite a bit of success from it. And this near-term boost, I feel like uh, they can really do a lot to take advantage of uh, the amount of uh, increased subscribers and attention that they're getting now in the past year as a result of, of some of these headlines. But the long-term outlook, see understanding and seeing the long-term outlook for its print business and how you know that wasn't sustainable. I think they made this shift uh, a little over five years ago. Um, you know, with over three million total subscribers now, uh, the double-digit growth that you've mentioned uh, in the past year, thanks to that digital side of the business, and that's with I think both their subscriptions and their advertising revenue. Um, but I think about. The print side, uh, and and despite that, that's shrinking uh, in terms of its contribution to the New York Times. Um, you know, the subscriptions fall off slightly with each passing year. Advertisers leave even more quickly. But it kind of reminds me a little bit of tobacco companies because you know, even though these tobacco companies are losing smokers each year in developed countries, they can raise prices enough to offset the loss, if not even grow revenue a little bit. And the same thing seems to apply for their. Uh, print subscribership uh, shrinks a little bit each year, but they can raise those prices and keep it almost flat. And at the same time, uh, on the flip side with their digital subscribers, see that incredible, incredible growth. Um, And there was a quote from management earlier this year during an earnings call. They said, so we believe that the fundamental story from 2015 onwards is a better understanding and better execution of the pay model and opportunity to accelerate. And I think that when I look at the next few years, I I think that we're certainly not saying that we expect the short-term effects of Donald Trump's election as president and the associated news cycle necessarily to last at its current rate forever. You know, the idea, be- the idea behind this, um, and what I like about it, is that if the next three years with this administration continue to provide a tailwind uh, to the company due to the greater demand for news coverage, uh, in, in terms of this administration, you know, despite the fact that. This heightened level of interest won't last forever. Management acknowledges that um, the company has some time to essentially turn these new digital subscribers who are interested right now because of uh, Trump coverage, for example. They have the opportunity to turn them into loyal readers, um, either through the habit of you know reading the New York Times each day, or by increasing the amount of content they offer and, and, and uh, increasing their value proposition. So they're te- uh, they're releasing more video content, they're releasing podcasts, they're getting into product reviews, and expanding that uh, the amount of content they offer that way, potentially uh, again winning over uh, subs- the subscribers that they're getting now uh, in that way. And all in that backdrop too, they also can continue to improve and optimize their ad- uh, their advertising business. So it's just interesting, and I think it'll be interesting to watch how this company. Uh, takes advantage of this uh, heightened level of interest that they're enjoying right now. But what are the, what else are you watching um, or kind of looking forward to to see the company try and take advantage of uh, in the coming years, and that you think you know investors, potential investors, need to know? One thing that I'm really watching at the New York Times is the way that they are taking hold of their brand, much in the way that we talked about Tiffany's a few weeks ago. It's a very well respected brand. And the Times' ability to parlay that into additional revenue is going to be crucial. They were doing this well before the election. Uh, This was one of my very first CAPS calls uh, when I joined the full back in late 2012. And listeners, if you haven't played CAPS, you have to. It will teach you how to invest. Uh, But that uh, strategy that they laid out really appealed to me five years ago. And as you said, the Trump administration has just given them uh, a tailwind for initiatives they were already working on. So 
things like digital um, crosswords, the Times last quarter saw their uh, digital crossword subscriptions increase 42%. Now that's only $3.2 million, but that's 4% of total digital only revenue in the last quarter. So these really small revenue streams that ride on the New York Times brand, which it's focused on, as you mentioned, the, the content, the podcast, those are gonna be extremely important over the years. So it's an interplay of the very particular in these initiatives and this big picture of this respected name that's really pushing change so it doesn't become one of those has-been companies because there are a number of those tobacco companies which aren't around any longer, Vince, as you know. Fair a enough. few innovative ones have survived. So that's um, keep your eye on that big picture the Times. I still think right now it's got a Ford PE of about close to 28. It's gotten a little pricey with the price run up, but it's still uh, a great long-term investment in my opinion. Yeah, um, makes sense given uh, the almost 80% uh, price appreciation of the stock seen, uh, as you said, in approximately the past year. Um, and again, investors, you want to see this company take advantage of the extra attention and goodwill that they have right now, that they're likely to have in the next few years, and try and lock down, uh, lock that down, and turn that into you know long-term uh, subscribers, uh, improved advertising business model. Uh, thanks again, Asit, for joining the show. Uh, that's all the time we have today. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show. The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Full on.